0: Section one of a study of British Genius by Havelock Ellis This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information on a volunteer, please visit Librivox.org Recorded by Leon Harvey. Chapter one Introductory The Problem to be investigated The Method of Investigation The Dictionary of National Biography The Principles Ruling the Selection of Names Cattle's Method of Selection. Reasons for the principles here adopted. Proportion of eminent women to eminent men. The distribution of intellectual ability in the various centuries. The biological data with which the present inquiry is chiefly concerned. Fallacies to be avoided. Until now, it has not been possible to obtain any comprehensive view of the men and women who have chiefly built up English civilization. It has not therefore been possible to study their personal characteristics as a group the sixty-six volumes of the dictionary of national biography have at the first time enabled us to construct an authoritative and well balanced scheme of the persons of illustrious genius in every department who have appeared in the british isles from the beginning of history down to the end of the nineteenth century and with a certain amount of labour they assist us to sum up their main traits It has seemed to me worthwhile, both for the sake of ascertaining the composition of those elements of intellectual ability which Great Britain has contributed to the world, and also as a study of the nature of genius generally, to utilise a dictionary to work out these traits. I propose to present here some of the main conclusions which emerge from such a study. The dictionary contains some record, from a few lines to several dozen pages, of some 30,000 persons. Now this is an impractical and undesirable number to deal with impractical because regarding a large proportion of these persons very little is here recorded or is even known undesirable because it must be admitted that the majority though persons of a certain note in their own day or their own circle cannot be said to have made any remarkable contribution to civilization or to have displayed any very transient degree of native ability my first task therefore was to discover a principle of selection in accordance with which the persons of relatively less distinguished ability and achievement might be eliminated at the outset one such class of individuals it was fairly obvious should be admitted altogether in the construction of any group in which the qualities of native intellectual ability are essential royalty and members of the royal family as well as the hereditary nobility those eminent persons the sons of commanders who have founded noble families are of course not excluded by this rule according to which any eminent person whose father at the time of his birth had attained a rank of baronet or any higher rank is necessarily excluded from my list certainly the son of a king or a peer may possess a high degree of native ability but it is practically impossible to estimate how far that ability would have carried him had he been the son of an ordinary citizen it might be maintained that a successful merchant ship-owner schoolmaster or tradesman requires as much sagacity and mental alertness as even the most successful sovereign by eliminating those individuals in whom the accident of birth counts for so much we put this insoluble question out of court i am surprised to find how few persons of obviously preeminent ability are excluded by this rule and many whom at first one would imagine excludes it really allows to pass especially in the case of sons born before the father was created a peer in order to avoid any scandalous omissions i have thought it well to rule in all those sons of peers whose ability has clearly been of a kind which could not be aided by person and influence thus i have included the third earl of Shaftesbury. for it cannot be held that the possession of an earldom tends to aid a man in becoming a philosopher it has however very rarely indeed been necessary to accord this privilege i have always refrained from according it in the case of soldiers and statesmen Having eliminated those whose position in the world has clearly been influenced by the accident of birth, it remained to eliminate those whose place in the world as well as in the dictionary was comparatively small. After some consideration, I decided that, generally speaking, those persons to whom less than three pages were allotted were evidently not regarded by the editors and could scarcely be generally regarded as of the first rank of evidence accordingly i excluded all those individuals to whom less than that amount of space was devoted when this was done however i found it necessary to go through the dictionary again treating this rule in a somewhat more liberal manner i had so far obtained some seven hundred names but i had excluded many persons of undoubtedly very eminent ability and achievement hutton the geologist and jane austen the novelist for instance could scarcely be omitted from a study of british genius It was evident that persons with eventful lives had a better chance of occupying much space than other persons of equal ability with uneventful lives. Moreover, I found that a somewhat rigid adherence to the rule I laid down had sometimes resulted in groups that were too small and too ill-balanced to be useful for study. In the case of musical composers, for instance, while those of recent times, of whom much is known, bulk largely in the dictionary, the early musicians, of whom little is known, though their is much greater were excluded from my list on the other hand a certain number of persons had been included because although of quite ordinary ability like bradshaw the regicide they happened by accident to have played a considerable part in history in going through the dictionary a second time therefore i modified my list in accordance with the new rule to the effect that biographies occupying less than three pages should be included if the writers seemed to consider that their subjects had shown intellectual ability of a high order and that those occupying more space should be excluded if the writers considered that their subjects displayed no high intellectual ability in this way i eliminated those persons whose rank chiefly as villains like titus oates and have little claim to the possession of any eminent degree of intellectual ability i likewise felt compelled to exclude women like lady hamilton whose fame is not due to intellectual ability but to beauty and to connection with eminent persons i also omitted one or two persons for the reason that although their claim to inclusion was unimpeachable we are not in possession of a single definite biographical fact concerning them from the present point of view they would merely cumber the ground so far as possible it will be seen i have sought to subordinate my own private judgment in making the selection it has been my object to place the list so far as possible on an objective basis at the same time it is evident that while i only reserved to myself a casting vote of doubtful points there was inevitably a certain proportion of cases where this personal vote had to be given a purely mechanical method of making selections would necessarily lead to various absurdities and all that i can claim is that the principles of selection i adopted have involved a minimum of interference on my part it is certainly true that even after much consideration and repeated revision I remain myself still in doubt regarding a certain proportion of people included in my list and a certain proportion omitted indeed any reader who finds on going through my list that there are certain omitted names which most certainly ought to have been included and certain included names which might well be omitted will have reached precisely the conclusion which i have myself reached however often i went through the dictionary i know that i should each time make a few trifling readjustments and anyone else who took the trouble to go over the ground i have transversed would likewise wish to make readjustments but i am convinced that if my principles of selection are accepted the margin of such readjustment is narrow it will be observed that by means of a slightly complicated and so far as possible objective method of selection i have not merely sought to include only individuals of a very high order of intellectual ability but have at the same time sought to avoid so far as possible the omission of others whom may have an equal claim to inclusion on account of their possession of a high degree of intellectual ability it will at the same time be observed that i do not claim to be absolutely successful either as regards the inclusion or the omissions i must hasten to add that any failure here very slightly impairs the primary objective of this study it has not been my main object to obtain a final list to date of those british men and women who have shown the highest degree of intellectual ability i wish to ascertain some of the biological characteristics anthropological and psychological of persons of the highest intellectual ability produced by great britain for this purpose it was essential that the list should be carefully and impartially obtained it was not essential that it should be faultless although that was the ideal i set before myself there is some interest in comparing my list with another list prepared by Professor Cattell of the 1,000 most eminent men that have appeared in the world generally. J. McKean Cattell, A Statistical Study of Eminent Men, Popular Science Monthly, February 1903. Professor Cattell, in constructing the list, adhered rigidly to the very principal and mechanical method of selecting which I had at first proposed to follow, but, as has been above explained, found it desirable in some degree to modify by the adoption of additional rules of selection. He took six biographical dictionaries, English, French, German and American, and, reducing space to a common standard, selected the 1,000 persons who were allowed the greatest average space, inclusion in at least three of the dictionaries being regarded as an essential condition. The list was thus, so far as Professor Catter was concerned, absolutely objective of professor kettle's one thousand most eminent persons two hundred and forty three or nearly a quarter appear to be british or to have flourished in great britain of these as many as at least sixty are not found on my list as the names of professor kettle's list appears without dates the identification is not always quite certain of these sixty thirty-three were excluded from my list as royal personages and twenty as belonging to the hereditary aristocracy the remaining seven who, since they thus figure among the 1,000 most eminent persons who ever lived, ought shortly to appear in my longer list of purely British persons. One, Jeffreys was excluded because, though he may not have been without legal ability, the space which he occupies in the minds of men is not due to his ability, but to the scandal which he caused. He lives rather as a bad man than as a man of genius. In a somewhat similar manner, Macpherson, who appears in Professor Cattle's list, but not in mine. Was excluded because although he occupies an important position in literary history, his contributions to literature have their main value from the traditions they embody. His insignificant character who accidentally aroused great controversies and showed little or no ability in his undoubtedly original literary work. Another Thomas Brown is a metaphysician who, at all events in the dictionary, is regarded as of little importance. Another Robert Hall was a Baptist preacher who left a reputation for pulpit oratory. The remaining three are Boothnot, Armstrong, and Ackenside are minor literary men whose productions are now unread, though it is possible that one, Armstrong, is undeservedly neglected. I do not consider that the exclusion of these seven persons reveals a very serious defect in my list, even though it may well be that a few individuals have found their way into my list who showed intellectual ability, but that was of but little higher order. An examination of Professor Cattles suffices to show how extremely difficult it is to obtain a reliable estimate of intellectual evidence on a simple objective basis. A test which places Napoleon III as the 11th greatest man that ever lived before Homer, Newton, and Alexander the Great, and includes some unread minor poets, while it excludes Gilbert, the father of experimental science, is scarcely satisfactory. It is certainly better than a subjective method. But its results seem to justify such an attempt as I have made, however, imperfectly to adopt a more complexly objective method of selection. In the final result, my selection yields 975 British men of a high degree of intellectual eminence, the eminent women number 55, being in proportion to the men about 1 to 18. A slightly lower standard of ability, it would appear, prevails among the women than among men. On account of the greater rarity of intellectual ability in women, they have often played a large part in the world on the strength of achievements which would not have allowed a man to play a similar large part. It seemed again impossible to exclude various women of powerful and influential personality, though their achievements were not always considerable. I allude to such persons as Hannah Moore and Mrs. Montague. Even Mrs. Somerville, the only feminine representative of science in my list, could scarcely be included were she not a woman, or she was little more than the accomplished popularizer of scientific results. In one department, and one only, the women seem to be little, if at all, inferior to the men in ability. That is in acting. Professor Cattell finds the proportion of women in his list of the most eminent persons of history generally to be 3.2%, while my British list is higher, being 5.3%. This is a difference which might have been anticipated, since my list refers only to post-classical times includes persons of a lower degree of eminence, and is concerned with the people among whom the conditions have possibly been more than usually favourable to the development of ability in women. It may be asked how these 1,030 persons of eminent intellectual ability have been distributed through the course of English history. I find that from the 4th to the 10th centuries inclusive, there are only 11 men of sufficient distinction to appear in my lists, nearly half of these belong to the 7th century. From that date onwards, Reckoning by the date of birth, we find that the 11th century yields 5, the 12th yields 11, the 13th 9, the 14th 16, the 15th 32, the 16th 161, the 17th 191, the 18th 372, the 19th 223. It is probable that the estimate most nearly corresponds to the actual facts as regards the 17th and 18th centuries. Before that time, our information is too scanty, so that many men of notable ability have passed away without record. In the 19th century, on the other hand, the material has been too copious, and the national biographers have probably tended to become unduly appreciative of every faint manifestation of intellectual ability. The extraordinary productiveness of the 18th century is very remarkable. In order to realise the significance of the facts, however, a century is too long a period, Distributing our persons of genius into half-century periods, I find the following groups are formed. A table is displayed on the page, with five columns in three rows, with each box signifying a 50-year increment in centuries, and a corresponding number for the preeminent individuals noted. Only four individuals belong to the second half of the 19th century. It is scarcely necessary to remark that the record for the first half of the 19th century is still incomplete. Taking the experience of the previous century as a basis, it may be estimated that some 35% of the eminent persons belonging to the first half of the 19th century are still alive. This would raise that half century to the first place, but it may be pointed out that the increase on the previous half century would be comparatively small, and also that the result must be discounted by the inevitable tendency to overestimate the men of recent times. We are to accept the perspective by which near things look large and remote things look small, But we must not be duped by it when we bear in mind that the activities of the individuals in each of these groups really fall on the whole into the succeeding period certain interesting points are suggested we note how the waves of humanism and reformation when striking the shores of britain have stirred intellectual activity and have prolonged and intensified in the delayed english renaissance we see how this fermentation has been continued in the political movements of the middle of the 17th century, and we note the influence of the European upheaval at the end of the 18th century. The extraordinary outburst of intellect in the second half of that century is accentuated by the fact that, taking into account all entries in the dictionary, the gross number of eminent men of the low standard required for inclusion shows little increase in the 18th century: 5,789 as against 5,674 in the preceding century is the editor's estimate the increase of ability is thus in quality rather than in quantity it is curious to note that throughout these eight centuries a marked rise in level of intellectual ability has very frequently though not invariably been preceded by a marked fall it is also noteworthy that in every century from the eleventh to the eighteenth with the exception of the seventeenth the majority of its great men had been born in the latter half it is to say that the beginning of a century tends to be marked by an outburst of genius which declines through the century. in the 19th century, 487 persons were born in the second halves of the centuries, only 323 in the first halves. This outburst is very distinct at the beginning of the 19th century. and As we have seen reason to believe, it was probably succeeded by an arrest if not a decline in the production of genius. It would seem that we are here in the presence of two factors a spontaneous rhythmical rise and fall in the production of genius so that a period of what is improperly called decadence is followed by one of expansive activity and also at the same time the stimulating influence of great historical events calling out latent intellectual energy these considerations however are merely speculative and it is sufficient to accord them this brief passing notice it is noteworthy that the progress of european ability generally as illustrated by professor Kettle's results has followed very much the same curve as i have found in the case of british genius following the extraordinary development of the two nations of antiquity professor cattle writes summarizing his own diagrams we have a decline not sudden but the light fails towards the fifth century the curve shows a rise towards the tenth century increasing rapidity as it proceeds there are three noticeable breaks thus in the fourteenth century there was a pause followed by a gradual improvement in the extraordinary fruition at the end of the 15th century. There was a pause in progress until a century later. The latter part of the 17th century was a sterile period followed by a revival culminating in the French Revolution. For Europe generally, as for Great Britain, the latter half of the 18th century represents the unquestionable climax of genius. 238 individuals belonging to the 18th century, altogether, as against less than 100 for the previous century. Professor Cattle's curve also shows the same general tendency for genius to become productive towards the end of each century, with the same very marked exception in the case of the 17th century. The fall here, Professor Cattle finds, extending to nearly every department of intellectual ability. In England, we might have been tempted to attribute the fall to the social disturbance caused by the civil wars, but since it was a general European phenomenon, except in Germany, where the 18th century expansion began earliest, this is impossible. It represents a period of rest between the unparalleled activity of the late 16th and early 17th century, and the still more unexampled intellectual energy of the 18th century. When the list of eminent persons had at last been completed, my task had still scarcely begun. It is my object to obtain as large a mass as possible biological data, anthropological and psychological, so that I could deal with these persons of eminent intellectual ability as a human group and compare them with other human groups, normal and abnormal i had somewhat too innocently assumed that the national biographers would usually be able to furnish the elementary data i required whenever such data were extant i soon realized however that the biographers were with a few notable exceptions literary men unfamiliar with biological methods and that they had seldom realized that biography is not a purely literary recreation and that it demands something more than purely literary aptitudes method was for the most part conspicuously absent if for instance one wished to know if an eminent man had or had not been married it was frequently necessary to read through the whole article to make sure that one had not missed a reference to this point when found one was still left frequently in doubt as to whether or not there had been offspring of the marriage and when no reference to marriage could be found one was left in doubt as to whether this meant that there had been no marriage or that the point was unknown or simply that the biographer had forgotten to refer to the matter failure of precision in regard to so elementary a biographical fact introduced into the consideration of a very important matter a margin of error which i have had much difficulty in controlling and still remains considerable again much trouble has been caused by the persistent vagueness of the biographers in describing the eminent man's position in his father's family there is the distinct interest in knowing the size of the family from which the great man sprang and his precise position in that family but the biographers in possibly the majority of cases use such expressions as eldest son second son youngest son which tells us almost nothing a brief personal description of the eminent man once more is always very instructive for biological purposes and when the great man lived several centuries ago the biographer is usually careful to reproduce any scrap of information bearing on this point but no such care is shown in the case of the more modern persons concerning whom the information obtainable is still copious And even when the biographer has personally known his subject he omits almost as a rule to give any information regarding his personal appearance these and the like imperfections might easily have been avoided and the value of the dictionary immensely increased had the editors adopted the fairly obvious device of issuing a few simple instructions to their fellow workers on the question of method the greatest part of my labor has been due to these defects in the dictionary of national biography in respect to those biological data which necessarily form the central and most essential part of biography. In order to supplement the information furnished by the dictionary, I have consulted over 300 biographies, as well as many other sources of information in memoirs, personal reminiscences, etc. In regard to some of the more recent persons included, I have been able to fill in various facts from my own knowledge. As concerns eye and hair colour, I have made a systematic examination of several picture galleries, more especially the National Portrait Gallery. Having thus explained the nature of the data with which we have to deal, and the methods by which it has been obtained, we may now proceed without further explanations to investigate it. We have to study the chief biological characteristics, anthropological and psychological, of the most eminent British men and women of genius. Here using the word merely to signify high intellectual ability. End of section 1